Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hello, hello, hello. Did you realize that the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception is just days away? I hope that you will be attending Mass since it is a holy day of obligation after all. When it comes to the Immaculate Conception, there are a surprising number of Catholics who are confused about what it is, or they're not quite sure why it's important. Now, if this is you, there's no fault to be had here. Or maybe you're one of those who have wondered, like myself, why are we celebrating the Immaculate Conception in the middle of Advent? Shouldn't we be focusing on the Nativity of the Lord? Hmm. You bring up an interesting question. Or let's be real, you've wondered why you should care. What what does this one celebration have to do with the entirety of my faith life? Well, the Immaculate Conception, it is an objective truth that affects our individual subjective realities more than we know. And most of us just haven't spent the time to ponder this out. So for all of these reasons, I think it's time that we sit down and we talk about the Immaculate Conception. But first, introductions. My name is Rochelle Lucero, and I am the host and the creator of the Clumsy Theosis podcast and ministries. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. And all of you returning listeners know that this is usually the time when I thank all of the most recent donors to Clumsy Theosis. But alas, we do not have any new donors since the recording and the release of our last episode. And I think this is the first time this has happened. This ministry, the podcast, the website, and the additional resources that I'm working on in the background, this is only made possible by your donations. That said, if you have found value in Clumsy Theosis, please consider going to clumsytheosis.net and making a donation by clicking the donate button in the menu. Okay, the Immaculate Conception. There are so many resources out there already about its validity based off of scripture and our tradition and how to explain it. That's not what we're going to do here today because so many people have already done it and they've done it well. I want to go beyond all of that and I want to look at why it matters and how this gift of the faith is just that, how it's a gift to us and how it benefits our walk with the Lord. So the Immaculate Conception, it's a dogma of the faith. When I say dogma, that means that Christ has revealed this truth to us and the church, the magisterium, has used her authority to proclaim this truth revealed by Christ to us, the faithful. And because they've done this, we have to assent or we have to agree with this in order to be a part of the faith. Now, if you want to learn a little bit more about dogmas and doctrines, I do have an episode called Doctrines and Dogmas, What's the Big Deal? And I'm going to link that in the show notes for you to listen to after this episode. So what exactly are we required to assent to? And I realize that the word assent can be offensive to some of us rebellious Americans, but just stay with me. I'm going to touch on the assenting business in a minute. So the Immaculate Conception is a solemnity that celebrates the Blessed Virgin Mary's conception, meaning when she was conceived in her mother's womb, her mother Anna. When Mary was in Anna's womb, Mary was free from the stain of original sin. And some people get confused and they think that the Immaculate Conception is about Jesus being conceived in Mary's womb, you know, the womb of a virgin. And so people think that, okay, so it was a virgin conception, therefore it means Immaculate Conception. No, that's wrong. (laughs) 
That is wrong. Now, in the Byzantine tradition, the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception is actually called the Feast of the Maternity of Anna. And this does away with all of that confusion confusion because we know that we're talking about Anna being pregnant with Mary and Mary being free from sin. Okay, the Immaculate Conception is usually celebrated on December 8th in the Roman Rite Church unless that day lands on a Sunday like this year, in which case it's moved to Monday the 9th. So the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, it was pronounced in 1854 by Pope Pius IX. This dogma can be difficult for some people to get behind for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons is its newness because it was only promulgated in 1854. But if we were to look through history just like Pope Pius IX did, we would see that early church fathers have been talking about Mary being full of grace They've been meditating on it. They've been writing about it. You know, what does it mean that Mary was full of grace? And they all come up with the same conclusion, that Mary is sinless. They've been writing about this since the beginning of Christianity. We have St. Ambrose and St. Ephraim writing about this in the late 4th century. And this is even before the Council of Ephesus. And remember when we talked about the Council of Ephesus and how they defended the title for Mary Theotokos, which means God-bearer? right? They were arguing and defending the fact that Mary was the mother of God. Before that was even something to be discussed in a public forum like that, church fathers were already talking about Mary being full of grace and how that equated to her being sinless. And this topic continues throughout history. We have St. Andrew of Crete and St. John the Damascene, both writing about this in the 8th century. And let's not forget the Marian apparitions in which Mary, when she appears, she attests to the fact that she is the Immaculate Conception. We have Our Lady of Guadalupe on December 9th in 1531, appearing to Juan Diego and telling him, I am the perfect and perpetual Virgin Mary, mother of the true God through whom everything lives. When she says this, she's indicating that she is free from all sin. Then again in 1830, Mary appears to St. Catherine Labouret in Paris and she instructs her on having the miraculous medal made. On the miraculous medal, there's an inscription that says, Mary conceived without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. Two years after the Immaculate Conception was defined, after the dogma was defined, Mary appears to St. Bernadette in Lourdes. So this would be in 1858. And she says to St. Bernadette, I am the Immaculate Conception. So why was Mary popping up through history to proclaim herself the Immaculate Conception? Did she feel like she wasn't getting enough attention and she was like, hey, everybody, look at me, look at me? No, of course not. That's ridiculous. She was boasting about the goodness of God and not just because he gave her the gift of sinlessness. So Pope Pius IX, when he made uh, the promulgation of the dogma, he said this. He said, the most blessed Virgin Mary was from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stains of original sin. I want to highlight that he said, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God. See, Mary is sinless, not by anything that she did, but by a grace of God. And that gift is available, how? Pope Pius says that it's by virtue of the merit of Jesus Christ. And what merit would he be talking to? Well, of course, that's the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which did what? It won our salvation. So let's stop and think about that for a minute. 
Christ's merit on the cross won our salvation. And this is the exact same thing that graced Mary with sinlessness. And the best explanation I've ever heard of this or example I've ever heard about this is one of life-threatening disease or illness in like a worldwide epidemic. So say there's this worldwide epidemic and everyone's contracting this disease and they're dropping dead, but there's a cure for this disease. There's also a vaccine for this disease. So say you get this illness, you visit the doctor who invented the cure and he administers it to you and you're healed. While you're receiving the cure because you've already been infected, your family is receiving the vaccine and that vaccine is going to make them immune from ever contracting this disease in the first place. The doctor, by giving you the cure, he saves you. He's your savior. But that same doctor, by way of the vaccine, he's preemptively saving your family. So he's also their savior. See, Christ redeemed Mary prior to his own birth, death, and resurrection because he is outside of space and time. He's not bound by temporal time, right? So he doesn't need to be physically born into the world in order for his redemption to apply. Since he is a member of the Trinity, he's outside of space and time, and his merit on the cross was given to Mary because he's still her savior, but it was given to her at the moment of her conception. Wild, right? See, us and Mary, we have the same Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and Luke tells us that Mary is full of grace. She's full of the grace of redemption. She's living out the glory of heaven. Did you catch that? From the moment of her conception, Mary is living out or living in the glory of heaven. Now, this is the same glory of heaven that we have all been made for and God willing, we will be graced with. See, Mary's modeling what awaits all of us. Through our lives, we are being purified. We're being perfected through the transformation that we know as theosis. And at the end of that life, we will be without sin, without stain, i.e., we will also be immaculate. That's the destiny that God has in store for all of us. That is so amazing. And in a way, it's so sweet if we think about how our Blessed Mother is providing us with encouragement to some degree. Encouragement to live out a life of theosis so that we can live the glory of God, right? She is a living example of what it looks like to live out that glory. But back to that assenting business I mentioned before. See, Mary, the mother of God, did not need to be immaculate in order for Christ to be born just as he was. No, because God is all-powerful and he could have made everything happen the way that it did with Christ's birth without Mary being sinless. That wasn't necessary. But God saw that it was fitting that things would be done this way. And you'll see this phrasing a lot if you research this topic, that it is fitting for Mary to be immaculate. And it's extremely poetic too, especially when we consider this. Here's another thing. Mary is not the first woman to be born immaculate. Eve, she was also full of grace. She was without sin. She was immaculate. But Eve and Adam fell from grace and that caused humanity to be born into sin. And this happened because they didn't trust the Lord. Mary, on the other hand, she trusted the Lord. And she repeatedly gave her yes. I love this quote by St. Irenaeus. He says about Mary, he says, Being obedient, she became the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. Hence, 
The knot of Eve's disobedience was united by Mary's obedience. That the virgin Eve bound through her disbelief, Mary loosened by her faith. Comparing her with Eve, they call Mary the mother of the living and frequently claim death through Eve, life through Mary. You see, as we prepare for the nativity of the Lord, the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception or the Feast of the Maternity of Anna, whichever you celebrate, this comes in the middle of Advent or the Nativity Fast. And because of that, it provides us with a fuller picture of God's plan for our salvation. From the moment of the fall of Adam and Eve, there has been a plan for our redemption through Jesus, the new Adam, and Mary, the new Eve. It's a point to meditate on that we have never been forsaken. And with this in mind, let's focus on giving our yes to the Lord. Advent, or the Nativity Fast, as us Byzantines practice, is about preparation. We are preparing by repeatedly giving our yes to fasting and physical deprivation so that our hearts, they are free, free to give our yes to the Savior of the world who's born in humility, and we can give this yes with our whole selves. I hope that you guys liked this episode. If you did, I would like to ask you if you would share it with a friend. Remember, if your friends don't do podcasts or podcast apps, you can always direct them to clumsytheosis.net. All of the episodes are available there. Or you can share the posts that I put up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with your friends, which will direct them to the episode. And you can find me on social at clumsytheosis at all of these places. And while you're at it, give me a follow and reach out to me. I love to hear where you're at in your spiritual life, topics you'd like me to cover, anything like that. I always respond, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Clumsy Theosis. And until next Friday, peace out, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.